Hello, and welcome to Manifestor Academy for Entrepreneurs with Michelle Anderson. If you are curious about how to manifest the life and business of your dreams, you're in the right spot. I will be sharing interviews, tips, tricks, stories, and anything I can think of by lifting up the hood on my own experience and my own businesses, including my coaching practice, about how you can manifest your dream life and business I hope you enjoy it. If you want to learn more, you can always go to michelleanderson.com. That's Michelle with two L's and Anderson with an S-E-N at the end. I'm excited because we have Jerry Bierman back on the podcast and I know that I was looking at all the views or the listens and people love the last time we had Jerry on because Jerry's got some real talk for us. Isn't that right? Wow. That's quite a, I, I like it when the bar's kind of set just a little bit lower that I could step over it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you spoke about something really relatable this time and you just kind of talked about working on your mind as an entrepreneur and you you hopped on with me before we started recording and said how great of a year you're having. So yeah. tell us about you working on your mind. Yeah, thank you. So, and uh, gosh, th thanks. It's an honor. Um, God, you know, as you go through life, Michelle, and you, you formulate uh, experiences and opinions and um, I'm 52. So I've got lots of experience lots of failures, lots of shortcomings. And, you know, you wonder as you're, as you're experiencing things, gosh, is, is anything I'm experiencing of any value to anybody else? And so um, just kind of jumping into that piece really quick is on one, on one hand, I'm very embarrassed to suggest that I spent 52 years of my life for the most part, not being aware of the power of my mind. And so since January 1st, actually, I started this with my 18-year-old daughter um, as an accountability, which she's an, a terrible accountability partner for me. But I've asked her to hold me accountable to me journaling on a daily basis on um, re, um, building some new pathways in my mind. So um, many people that know me think that I'm pretty positive, pretty optimistic. Um, however, if you were able to get into my mind, you would see that my default is, is not typically positivity and, and optimism that at three o'clock in the morning, when I wake up and I start thinking about work or issues, my default has been to very quickly spiral the story into, um, you know, the guys are going to quit. The customer is going to fire me that my, my default mind, the, the, the narrative that I tell myself as a default um, has been just filled with anxiety and negativism. And so um, just kind of accelerating the story for the first of the year, I thought, you know, could I, could I learn to ha build another pathway in my brain? And I know this sounds kind of weird. So just like hang with me for a minute, but like there's a, if you think of a woods um, and you think of paths that are well-worn, um, 
So at, at 52, whatever issue comes up, if you look at, at um, a forest and pathways that are very well worn out, like I've gone down this path before, when I'm under stress or anxiety that, and I'm going to run through the woods, I'm going to run to a path that's already well worn. So if you can visualize a path that's very well worn, my, that's my default. And so what you don't know about me that I'm sharing with you is that my default that I've built over 52 years is a pathway of, of anxiety and worry and, you know, um, just negativism. On the, out, the outside, what I project is positivity and optimism. People that know me very well think that I'm a very upbeat, positive guy. And I think that's what I project. But in my mind, when things happen, I would default to a path that was very well worn. And so first of the year I got with my daughter who's 18, who I'm trying to coach her. And I say to her, Hey, will you help hold me accountable that I'm going to journal every day and I'm going to spend time on a daily basis, really working on building new pathways in my mind. And I know this can sound very odd, but um, do you, I, I can't remember what it's called and you're a lot younger than me. Um, but they used to have movies. I think they used to have movies like DVDs or whatever that you could rent and you could choose the ending of the movie. Do you remember those, Michelle? I actually, I'm probably older than you think, but we, I had, I remember those fiction books where you could choose the ending. <laughs> okay. So that, that would work as well. So if, you know, if there's a book and you, you a book that you get to choose the ending, um, and, what I find is that myself and um, my friends and family, um, they have developed default endings to the story, right? So whatever happens to them, um, they start to play a narrative and it ha they have a default uh, to the ending of the story. And so what I'm personally working on is changing that default to the story. And so, um, in no way am I successful at this. Um, in no way am I suggesting that I've got it figured out. I'm just sharing with you um, what, you know, three months in, what some of my learnings are. And, um, and so anyway, so I'm just practicing literally on a daily basis. So this, this includes um, um, when, I'm, when, I, when I think of it before a meeting, um, I try to get my mind in a position um, to have a positive with the, the, the ramp. And I'm a person of faith, so you can discount my faith, but you can, you can understand the, the point of it is though I, my, my path is positivity. So that's one piece is that I say to myself, Hey, Jerry, you're going to have a conversation with Michelle on this podcast and um, just prepare your mind to be positive that this is going to be, um, this is going to be a good conversation. So this is prior to you and I speaking that I'm optimistic. So positivity, optimism, um, that I want to have an optimistic mind set as I approach this conversation, Michelle. And then because I'm a person of faith, then I invite, um, I invite the Lord into my mind. And so again, if you're not a person of faith, you could invite whatever it is in whatever, whatever helps you me being a person of faith. I'm going to invite my 
um, I'm going to invite my faith into my thoughts as well. So that's my, that's my rant in my own head is positivity, optimism, and then having the Lord's presence in my thoughts. How's that first start? That's amazing. I mean, I just love how you described it and you know, you're telling me it might sound a little crazy, but, but it's not. And the deeper I've gone into coaching and all the, the layers that I've, that I've gone into the thing that you just described, right? Your whole process, changing your mind has become a really big deal. And I think people are finding that unless you do that, you're not going to have any real transformation that is lasting. Mm-hmm. Let me give you, this is something I've been sharing with my guys. Cause I, I talked to one of the things that helps me with this is the accountability of it. So, if I share with you, Michelle, as a friend of mine, as a peer, um, as a co-laborer in, in leadership in the trades, um, that just me speaking it to you uh, increases my accountability to stay the course. So one of the things I've done with our staff um, and some friends like you is I've said one of the stories I've, or one of the questions I've asked them is, how long do you think, if you took acting classes, how long do you think it would take you to develop the skill to cry on demand? So, you know, when you see actors or actresses, um, you know, from what I've heard and what I've seen is they have the ability through training that they can cry, give them a couple minutes to right, get their mindset and then they can cry on demand. That doesn't sound very far fetched to you, I would imagine. Is that, is that fair, Michelle? Well, I actually, I've taken some acting classes and I know that you can practice yourself to do some pretty amazing things if you get in the right mindset. Mm-hmm. So you would say that it's socially, and this, this is a big piece, I think, socially, um, culturally, it's understood that actors and actresses can learn how to cry on demand. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. So if that's true, which it is, then I've asked my staff, how long would it take you? Like how much, how many week, days, weeks, months would it take you, do you think, to develop that skill? And at lunch today, I was talking to two of my guys. One guy said three months, another guy said six months. And I said, okay, so in three to six months, given you two to three minutes to prepare yourself, you could pretty much cry on demand. And they said, yeah. And they said, so what you would probably be doing is telling yourself like a really deep, um, for the sake of this conversation, dark story of something that happened to you or somebody in the past. And when you really fixate on that, your emotions start to come to the surface and you end up crying. And so what happens is you end up telling yourself a story and the story produces an emotional outcome. So that's not unusual. If I said, and I said this to my guys at lunch today, I said, if I told you to uh, think of a story that makes you happy or makes you laugh, how difficult is that for you? And that's pretty, from a cultural standpoint, that's pretty easy, especially when you look at Snapchat and social media and all the bizarre things you can do with faces and voice and, or just humor. Like you can think of something really funny and if you think about that in detail, and I think that's the, that's the point that I really want to hammer home, is if you think about it 
any detail, then you can actually develop the, you know, the, the emotion and actually bust out laughing. So that's, that's not a far stretch either. So if it's not a far stretch to cry and it's not a far stretch to laugh, then why would it be a far stretch for you to look at the amount of work that you have to do today and tell yourself a, a story that has a productive outcome to it? Um, and so anyway, so that's, that's one of the things that we're talking about is that, you know, regardless of what you're facing, and I'm not talking, my wife accuses me of being Pollyanna, but I'm not talking about being Pollyanna, that if something sucks that you say, oh no, this is good. Well, no, it sucks. And it's really painful. I'm not talking about Pollyanna. I'm talking about taking something that sucks and really painful and tell yourself a story that has a productive outcome, right? So you look at failed relationships, you look at failed businesses. And if you, as a leader, if, you, if you've been a leader for any length of time, you have failed relationships and you have failed businesses. And so how do you look at that? What's the narrative you tell yourself in failed relationships? So I've got a failed marriage. Um, and so I look at that and say, okay, I had a failed marriage. What good has come out of that? What productive, like, how did I, how did I learn and grow that in my next relationship, I can be better, right? So that's a productive story that I tell myself. And some people I find, um, it's almost like they enjoy the, it's almost like they enjoy the pain and the suffering. Like it sucks and it always sucks and it's really bad. And, you know, I feel sorry for those people that, that the narrative they tell themselves is it, the, the ending is unproductive, right? It's unproductive narrative versus this really sucks and this is a productive narrative. So I, I just, as I'm saying this to you, I'm like, God, I can't believe it's taken me this many years to really hone in on my thoughts and how powerful my thoughts are. So I'll give you, for instance, I'm 52, so whatever happens to you when you're in your 50s, your bladder, you gotta go to the bathroom a couple times a night. So plus I drink a lot of coffee and, and plus I love red wine and whatever. So the cocktails, you know, either the coffee or the wine or whatever, at three in the morning I wake up and I go to the bathroom. And prior to January 1st, I'd wake up at three in the morning and I'd go to the bathroom and I would start thinking about my next day. And I would start thinking about, oh gosh, I got to have a tough conversation with so-and-so. And, you know, I got this client that's dissatisfied. And I would literally go back to bed and not be able to fall asleep. But my mind just started racing. And so January 1st, I replaced that thought with this rant of positivity and optimism and inviting uh, God into my mind. And um, I've had some difficult, I've, I've had some difficult evenings, uh, middle of the nights falling asleep, but I haven't had anything like I experienced prior to January 1st. And so what typically happens is I can literally lay there and I just start this rant in my own head of, you know, I'm positive, I'm optimistic, you know, God, I just welcome you in my thoughts. And I just repeat those three things. And I know it, it, to some people, this might sound ridiculous, but and it works. I fall back asleep. And so I do that. Um, if I'm, if you know, trying to develop some triggers is really important, but so for me, it's the middle of the night. And then I, um, I am really fortunate that I'm able to um, unplug from work for 
an hour and a half to four hours a day, literally, you know, I, I do this Monday through Sunday that I'm either, I'm, I'm detached from all electronic devices and I spend, I'm not kidding, an hour and a half minimum to typically four hours max. Um, and I, I typically go work out, I'll go for a run, I'll go for a bike ride, I'll go for a swim without music, without anybody with me. And I literally just go through this mental, so I'm getting physical exercise, but I'm literally going through this mental exercise, which is made way more detailed than just these three pieces, not to bore you with, but it's very intentional. It's very intentional time for me to um, renew my mind, for me to work on my mind. And it has had a, it has had a, a profound impact on my attitude. I asked my wife, um, which you haven't met her yet. She's awesome in lots of ways. But I asked her, it was about two weeks ago. I said, you know, I feel like since January 1st that, you know, and she thinks I'm crazy as well. But uh, I said to her, I said, you know, I've been doing this, these exercises. And I said, I feel like I've been a much better husband to you over the last three months. And she said, absolutely. Yes, you have. And I thought, wow, that's, that's really not that I was doing it for that reason, but a byproduct of it is I became a better husband to my wife. And so I would imagine that I'm a better father to my, I've only got one child in the house, thank God, but I feel like I'm a better father to my kids. I feel like I'm a better coworker. I feel like I'm a better leader with other leaders um, as a, as a direct result of me working on my own mind crazy and awesome that is awesome i think you know it sounds like you decided to work on yourself from the inside out and the results are showing already mm -hmm. yeah that's fair that's fair and i and I, I think there's an accountability piece to, like i journal so i could send you i've missed a few days but i date them i'm, I'm on the journal I sent to my daughter today is day 85. So um, anyway, you could, you could look at my journal and see what I'm doing literally every day, but I'm also talking to my friends about this. And I find that to be really important. Like there's, when I tell you I'm doing something and I'm actually doing it, it like reinforces it. Um, but I'm not bullshitting you. I'm actually telling you the truth, Michelle. And when I tell you the truth, it reinforces the um, the intentionality to stick with this. I think I one of the really things important. you've you've shared like in so many ways. What I think is really important is that you're being vulnerable enough to admit where you wanted to go with your mindset, and a lot of the things that you talked about are things that actually I can relate to. And I think you made an interesting point when you say a lot of people would say they would reflect upon you that you're very positive. And if anyone knows anything about Jerry or his company, Alluring Glass, and the leadership that he provides in the community, I, I think a lot of people would say Jerry has been a leader in small business growth and mindset for a while. And it's, it's fascinating to hear you open up about your recent decision to really work on your mindset. Um, and thank mm -hmm. you for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. And it helps me like 
you know, to, to bring the, a better version of myself into each of my engagements. So, um, yes, it's, it's important. It, transparency, authenticity. Um, one of the things that we were talking about uh, with some leaders this week is fostering um, potential. Like, you know, have, fostering potential in others is using potential as a, as a definition as, like it's something that you don't see yet in yourself, but another leader does. And so, you know, I think this, I think, I think getting your mind right, um, get, I think getting your mind right slash getting your mind healthy um, enables you to bring the best version of your leadership into other people and to, and to help them. I mean, it's all about, you know, gosh, you're, you're around this long enough. It's about, it's about being the best version of yourself, not for you to um, boast or be prideful or arrogant or um, have a land grab, whatever that means to you, um, to get yourself to the, you know, to the top of the marketplace or whatever. But it's it's really about getting yourself the healthiest um, so you can be of, of better value greater value to those around you. That is, I, I want to point out, and the listeners won't know this, so I'll mention. So one of the problems in our industry, the, you know, the, the contracting industry or the residential remodeling industry is that a lot of contractors and business owners complain about having employees. And you mm-hmm. actually have, described before how your employee retainage is very important to you and you've really transformed that and that's not really that's not you're not complaining you you took the reins of that and I think hearing you talk about how important self-growth is for you personally and including you've talked about including the people on your team into that concept um I think it's no surprise to me that you're not having the problem of employee retainage. Well, and I think, you know, you, you, yeah, you're talking about retention strategies, you know, one of the, gosh, what is it? Uh, Branson, um, one of his quotes was, um, uh, train people well enough that they can leave and treat them well enough that they want to stay. And so some of these sayings, you kind of just, they roll off your, your, your lips and you're like, Oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense you know, train them well enough that they can go and treat them well enough that they want to stay. And so, um, again, I'm not suggesting I'm good at this. However, my desire is to train my guys um, as much as they want to be trained, which is, that's a whole nother discussion. How much, you know, the conversation this morning was, um, you know, where do you want to be in five years? you know, looking at opportunities in front of you, uh, where do you want to be in five years? And then um, why do you want to be there in five years? And how do I come alongside you and help you move in that direction? So again, having a, having the right mindset that you're, you're, you know, for myself, trying to develop people and, you know, Michelle, this gets really tough for a bunch of reasons, but there's, there's, I look at my friends, there's three types of businesses um, in the really quickly in our, in the residential trades, there's um, sole proprietors that are swinging the hammer themselves. They do everything. So 
maybe they have one employee, maybe they have no employees, but you know, they're, they're doing the work, like their GSD, their get stuff done is the crown molding and the drywall today. Then there's, then there's owners, leaders in the residential trades that do a little bit of both. So they might spend two or three days in the field and two or three days in the office. And those tweeners have a little bit more time to invest in their guys, um, but not a ton. And then the, the, the third type is the, the type of business that the guy, they can actually, the business is running, the, the business and the craft, Michelle, is running the business. And so, you know, is the craft, the drywall, the painting, is, is the craft partially running the business and uh, developing your staff and the drywall and the painting? Or do you have a third, the third type of business where the, the business itself is the craft? And I'm blessed, fortunate, um, lucky, pick a word, that I'm, I'm able to, my, my business is the craft, which means that my customer, <coughs> excuse me, my customer is my staff. My staff's customer is you, right, the end user or the contractor. So I'm I'm fortunate to be in that third type of business where I get a I get a I get to make my business the craft. The other two men and women that lead the other organizations, it's a lot more difficult for them for sure because they're wearing more hats. That's a really cool way that you broke that up, and I can just see it clearly. And I love the term that you use, the tweeners, the people that are trying to run yeah. their business, and sometimes they're swinging the hammer. And um, yeah, I've left mm -hmm. a lot of my friends behind because they're tweeners. And I went from being a tweener to the third option. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then on to be able to have room for other businesses in my life. And what I noticed is that I ended up outpacing those people that stayed in the tweener stage that were afraid to let go and build their business. I love how you describe that where your staff is your craft and your business is your craft and the clients are the staffs. Um, yeah. What they're focused on. Yeah. And that's the leadership piece that I think would, uh, gosh, that would preclude. So, so if, if you've got a, if you've got a friend that's a, that they're great at uh, carpentry, I mean, they're just phenomenal or they're a great architect or whatever the craft is. And, they they work best on the craft of carpentry or the craft of architecture. If you take that person and you put them in the craft of running the business, they may hate it. I mean, they may not have the tools. They may not be resourced for it. Um, they may not have the competency for it. So some of it is self-awareness, right? Do I want to be, you know, as, as I'm developing my tools in my tool belt, is the tool belt that I'm trying to build to run the business as a craft or is the tool belt that I'm trying to build to do the drywall or the architecture? And I think your choice is what's important. I don't, I don't look at, I don't look at an architect that does architectural work as his craft as condescending. I think that's a great, I think that's great self-awareness for that guy to say, or gal to say, Hey, I really enjoy the architectural piece. That's totally different than running an architectural firm. And I think that's the, 
I think that's one of the challenges you see in the residential trades is you got architects that are really great architects trying to run a business and they're not, they're not tooled up to run the business. I, I totally agree. I remember co-oping for architects and the disaster that I found when the architect was a tweener <laughs> was mm -hmm. what inspired me to not do that when I started my own practice and um, looking at which craft you want to focus on. I love how you point this out because I bet there's some listeners that probably need to decide is their craft going to yes. be their skill or is their craft going to be their business? Yes. And some of that is, you know, the, the, one of the most crucial conversations, the first conversation is to have with yourself. And the second is to have if you're married, your spouse. So I said to my wife, gosh, this was a lot of years ago. I said, I don't know how long it's going to take me to move out of this. I didn't call it a tweener at, the, at that time, but that's in fact what I was doing. I don't know how long it's going to take me, but I'm telling you that I'm completely tripling down on that process. And it probably took me you know, of being intentional probably still took two years. So, you know, two years of, of daily intentionality to work myself from the second type of business into the third type of business. And I think, again, choosing, like choosing which of those three, I, I've got a good buddy that loves to go out in the field a couple of days a week. He loves it. And so he would rather keep his business functioning the way he functions it, runs it, and be able to spend two or three days in the, in the field one week and, or one, you know, a couple days a week and then a couple days in the office. So if that works for you, I guess my, my point would be if you're complaining about it, like if you're complaining about the, which slot you're in, then what are you going to do to get yourself out of that slot? And I think that's where your mind comes in. It's like your mind is probably telling you, um, your being aware of the narrative your brain is telling you is really really important, and 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 the other the 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 piece that I'm circling the barn to make this point again is that you choose the narrative for the outcome, you choose it, and and you've been choosing it regardless of how old you are. You've made that choice, um, and it, it could be a for most of us it's, it's a default choice. And so at some point, if you choose to rewrite that ending, that, you know, these are going to be productive, I'm going to, I'm going to enter these experiences and I'm going to tell a narrative of a productive outcome. That doesn't mean it's not going to be hard, doesn't mean it's not going to suck, but I'm going to learn something positive from this and make it productive. Well, even though you took this recent journey to really look at your mindset, you, you spoke about going from the in-between phase to really making a choice to getting out of that. And that was, sounds like it was applying the decision to make an intention to just set it up differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then you yeah, did it. Sure. <laughs> yeah, then you do it and then you maintain it. Um, and because it's the, the, like you're changing, so is the market changing. And so, like, it's not a, you don't get it and then stop it. You get it and keep doing it. I'll give you a, for instance, I've run a couple, I've run, I've run a handful of marathons. Well, I, I trained for a marathon when I was 30. Well, I'm 52. I'm retraining for a marathon that's going to be in 
uh, May the 5th or 6th. So, like, it, you don't stop the training. I think that's, like, once you get there, wherever there is, then you don't stop. That You keep the training going because if you don't keep the training going, you're not going to be able to continue to run the race. And so while my personal best, as far as time in running a marathon, has changed substantially, the training is still consistent. I'm still logging the hours. And I think that's another good reminder for us is that if you don't enjoy the journey, like people that run marathons and they hate the training are typically a one and doneers, right? They, they, they fight through the training through a Herculean effort because they, they hate it. It sucks. It's painful. The narrative they're telling themselves is this is horrible. Why would anybody want to do it? They do it for 18 weeks. They run a marathon and they never do it again. Well, if you don't fall in love with the journey, and again, not to be a masochist, but when I'm, when I'm running and I have blisters and calluses and my feet hurt, I don't tell myself it doesn't hurt. I tell myself this hurts, but I'm going to have a productive outcome from it. And so, you know, it, it is, it, it, it's a, it's a, for me, Michelle, it's a lifelong journey. I don't get somewhere and stay there. I get somewhere and then I continue to grow and develop. So that could go off in a bunch of different directions that we could talk about in the future. Well, I think also it sounds like, you know, for people that do decide to make the business their craft, which you clearly have, that that is a mindset that you need to have. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because yeah, things are always sure. changing. And I don't know if there's any in-betweeners out there listening that are afraid about making a choice. Uh, but I will say I did decide to make the business my craft and, and sometimes would get missing working directly with the clients. But the good thing about it is that it allowed me to scale back my time involved in the business. So when I do want to go visit the clients, it's more out of a, a, a joyful asset to what's happening. Um, I don't know if mm-hmm. you do that or if you partake in any way that then I can know that I'm serving them better by having the right people in the roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's good. I think, yeah, that, that just, it just resonates me with self-awareness, you know, that you, you're self-aware of, you know, of who you are, what your business is. Business is an expression of you. And so, um, again, making that decision, I think it's just powerful. And I, I think right now, I think the market conditions are so strong that, um, there's so many friends that are, um, they, they love the craft. They hate the business. Like they hate the stuff that you and I love. And so I'm, I'm also wondering, like, how do you, how do you build a bridge to those guys to bring them into organizations that are led by, um, leaders that, um, you know, are trying to invest into their staff, you know, of, building into people, helping grow their craft. Um, I think there's a, I think there's a great opportunity for some of our friends to get, you know, which this is tough if they've owned their own business for whatever short period of time or a lot of years, but they hate the business part of it. They, they hate the, they, they just hate the, the business part of the business, the business craft. They love the, physical craft of the drywall, the painting, or the tile, for instance. Well, I don't know what your take is on this, but when you say that, it actually reminds me of a point in my business where I really had to decide about 
becoming the business person versus the designer. And I was really mm. scared around it because I thought that being a business person meant that the color would drain out of my life and I would be boring. And I really danced around embracing it. But what I found was that I actually couldn't be the owner of my own company without embracing that and that my business was going to fail. So I took a huge hit to my pride and a big risk. Um, mm -hmm. And I just said, okay, I'm going to learn the business side. And, and I hired coaches to help me with it. But mm -hmm. on the other side, and I'd be interested to know how it ended up for you. I realized that I could actually be way more creative in the place that was more fitting for me. I was just basically outgrowing my shoes um, mm -hmm. and make it my own once I got there. And then it was a very creative thing to be in. And I ended up loving different pieces of the business than I thought I, than I ever thought I would. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a great question. I, I, I'm just, I'm thinking as I'm speaking, I'm just thinking of guys I know and um, trying to consider what parts of their business they really enjoy. And certainly as the owner, you can hire people to do the stuff that you don't enjoy. So, um, you know, if you don't enjoy the, the bidding, um, if you don't enjoy the, um, the sales call, so to speak, um, if you don't enjoy the back office, the finance stuff, you, you can hire, you certainly could hire people to do those things as well. Absolutely. Which would be a, you know, that'd be, that'd be a business model that, um, that, that could work as well. Well, I want to, if, if you, if you have employees, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm just, I'm just thinking this out loud. If you have employees, um, I think one of the, from a leadership standpoint, one of the questions you have to ask yourself is who's serving them, right? Who's taking care, if you have one employee or you, if you have 100 employees, who's, who in the company is responsible for serving them? Like you, you and I know, when we say uh, satisfied client, we know exactly what that means. Again, culturally, you know, if, you, if, you're, if your business is uh, landscape architecture or your business is a boutique shower glass and you say what a, cust uh, a satisfied customer looks like, that's easy. One of the questions as owners we have to ask ourselves is what does a satisfied customer look like as it relates to your employee? What's a satisfied employee look like? And who's taking care of them and making sure that they're, yes, that they're being served. Absolutely. The right, the right person for the role too. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that I've gone back and forth with delegating a lot in my business until I found the right person to hire full time for the first time. And um, once I realized what a fit he was for Flourish, I hired him for Flourish. I started to think, oh my gosh, now I need to figure out how to make sure this role works well for him, me as the leader. And um, that was the first time I, I had a lot of, experience in general leadership up until that point but i but i realized that was a new hat that i had on <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah no that's good yeah that and that brings up a whole nother probably not enough time today but you know what is it what does it mean to empower uh what does it mean to um 
personally and professionally develop your leadership, not your leadership, your team's leadership. What does that mean? You know, how do you do that? How yeah. do you know if they're, yeah, anyway, that's, yeah, that's a whole nother podcast. Well, I'd love to have you speak about that with me because um, I could think of some things I'd love to ask you. So I know I want to make sure that the listeners get to digest these amazing stories that you've already shared and you talked a lot about mindset and how that actually works in your business. So is there mm-hmm. anything else in relation to that that you want to leave them with today before we hop off? Nope, I think that's enough. That's good. Awesome. Well, I so appreciate your time and I'm excited to have Likewise. you back. And uh, Likewise. Thank you, Jerry. Um, love it. Love All it. Right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us on the episode today. I'm so glad you were here to give a listen. If you liked it, this is a new podcast right now, so I would really appreciate it if you would give us a review on whatever platform you're listening on, just to let other people know that this is a place where you can learn how to manifest the life and business of your dreams. Also, if you want to find out more, follow us on Instagram. It's Michelle and Anderson with an S-E-N at the end on Instagram and Michelle Anderson. Dot com is the website.